Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Squared Triangle. I didn't think we we're going to get to another one before another pay-per-view, but here we are. We had a viewer request uh, from Nick Op uh, Nick Opaluski, who messaged us on our Without Context Facebook page, which is something that we don't follow. Uh, if you do want to get in contact with us, Twitter was probably the best place to do that. But he wanted us to review the 1991 Royal Rumble. And we're going to review it, and we have some thoughts. And this isn't going to be an episode, you know, going at Nick about it, because it is definitely an old-school-style pay-per-view, but boy, do we have some thoughts about this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, this pay-per-view um, did 440,000 buys, uh, which means 440,000 people spent, what was it, 30 bucks back then to watch it? Yeah, about $39.99. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. <clears throat> and I mean, in terms of people in this pay-per-view, like there are, there are a lot of the classic names, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of that uh, classic namesake comes from nostalgia because it's definitely not from performance a lot of the times. Uh, I think generally, go, as we go through these matches, I think the match of the night for probably all three of us is the opening match with the yes. Rockers versus Orient Express which is an awful name to begin with, but the fact that we can just see the beginnings of Shawn Michaels' greatness is honest, superb. If I'm honest, I would say, I would also give, uh, I would also give like an honorable mention to the, uh, the Million Dollar Man and Virgil versus the Rhodes, Rhodes yes. uh, father and son, only because there is some storyline in there. We'll get to it. We'll get to we'll some storyline, and Dustin Rhodes is 22 in that match, and you can already tell just how great of a wrestler he's going to be. This was before Gold Dust. This was before mm -hmm. he went to WCW. This was the match, his last match in WWF, before him and his dad went to WCW in the early mm -hmm. 90s. This was mm -hmm. their leaving match, which is why they took the pinfall. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's going to come back as Gold Dust, and the rest, even to day to this day, is still wrestling. It's insane. Yep. Um, and and good. And also, um, Million Dollar Man. This is the this paper we really highlights just how great he was as a villain in this era. It was like, good. He was the top villain in this era for a reason. I have some notes for that match because I like the angle post match too. Like I think yeah, everything with Virgil was just great at the end of that. Uh, a little uncomfortable at times, but <laughs> I think the payoff was good. Well, and they, it, we'll talk about it, but let's put this pay-per-view into some context. And we're going to go from context as a culture because we did not do any research leading up to this pay-per-view. Uh, this is 1991. This is about the era of the first Gulf War. And this is two days after Desert Storm. Yes, two days after Desert Storm. And boy, are they really milking that patriotism in this pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, I don't know how far before Desert Storm all these storylines started, but with Sergeant Slaughter being the Iraqi sympathizer, I mean, that's... It's definitely something that is just old school WWF bullshit. There, I will there say. was there was a segment in a Raw mm. previous to this. I think it was just the Raw before this, the Go Home Raw, yeah. uh, where uh, Sergeant Slaughter opens a present in the middle of the ring, and it's the boots he's wearing to the match, and he says they're from Saddam Hussein himself. I'm like, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into it. Uh, but. Uh, 
Let's just go through. This is actually a pretty small card compared to modern day wrestling. It's only about three hours long. Mm-hmm. But boy, do those three hours definitely feel like three hours. And uh, uh, a majority of this pay-per-view, I think an hour and 15 minutes of it is dedicated to the Royal Rumble itself. So you got to fill two hours with five or six matches, and you just can't do that back in the 90s. There was a lot of promos in this pay-per-view. Well, also, one of those matches kind of ended early, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We'll get to why a 20-minute match ended at 12 minutes. (laughs) But, uh... So we start the show. Yeah. We start the show. There is a dark match before it. They don't have it on the actual recording. Um, but we start off with Gorilla Monsoon and Piper as our commentary team. And I think you mentioned something about this in your notes is that there's always a very stark contrast between commentators. There's a face and a heel. But it seems mm. like this whole commentary team is USA, USA. This whole oh, this, this commentary team is very much USA, USA. I will say that... Uh, the there the there's the I actually think Gorilla Monsoon was kind of like more the heel commentator this go around. Yeah, Piper was definitely embracing his like face side during yeah. this uh, during this commentary, and yeah. it was great. There were some good moments uh, mm-hmm. on the commentary. Uh, yeah, I put a note like Piper's just wonderful in his promos. There's a reason why he's considered one of the best promos in wrestling history because yeah. he's just. It just has that energy to go with it. And Piper was just selling everything so well in that pay-per-view. You know, he was uh he was just animate animated, you know, vibrant. You know, when the stuff that happens happens, he would just like react to it in such an angry and he, in a classic angry Piper way. Yeah. I mean, he, he was on fire in his pay-per-view. He was he was really good. Yeah, well, yeah, he was. Um a little side note that I made here. Uh at the time that this came out, Dave Meltzer <clears throat> said that this was the best Royal Rumble out of all of them so far and i want to see where this falls on that list now because i'm pretty sure it's going to be near the bottom (laughs) uh this is this is the this is only the fourth royal rumble the bar is low the bar is in hell this was before the winner of the royal rumble even got a title shot so we're seeing all of this pre-modern royal rumble yeah uh, that we know um so let's get into this first match because i think this was probably all of our favorite matches out of these matches that we had uh, mm-hmm. We start with the Fink, which was amazing seeing him. I completely forgot about Howard Finkel. Howard Finkel. Um, the match is the Orient Express, which is an awful name, uh, versus the I'm Rockers. Call, I'm just going to call them the Express. The Express. This entire fucking thing. Uh, right. yeah, managed by Mr. Fuji, which this yep. is just pure 90, late 80s, early 90s WWF racism. <laughs> and. <laughs> We're not going to sugarcoat that. Like there are some pretty racist gimmicks in this Royal Rumble, and the we'll man like, has a, like a tuxedo and a little bowler hat. Bowler. I don't know how much more. The motherfucker looks like Odd Job. Yeah, yeah Odd Job and Golden. <laughs> I was about to. Say. Well, he yeah, looks but, like um, Odd Job. Um, Seven. But this is pure rocker. This is pure rockers. This is years before their breakup. I think their breakup was ninety two. Yeah. Nineteen ninety two. Nineteen ninety two. Yeah. So this is a full year. year. Um, we know Shawn Michaels is just one of the greatest wrestlers in history, and you can see it here, even in his tag team performance. Uh, there are moments in this match that I was impressed by Marty Jannetty. I don't think he gets enough respect. There was one moment, though, where he, no matter how much you try to cover it up, he missed two back-to-back drop kicks on people, yeah. and they still just fell yeah. over. But there were moments where I'm like, man, Marty Jannetty probably deserves a little more... Uh, for what he brought to this tag team. It wasn't just Sean carrying this tag team. It was the narrative was 
skews over the decades since this. Um, because Marty Jannetty was always a solid wrestler. He was. Yeah. It's not like he was a bad wrestler by any stretch. He was never um, going to be a top card guy, but he definitely he was ne- would have earned his place. He would have earned his place in the middle card easily. Yeah, he's and never I, a star, but he was. He was pretty good. And on top of that, he had like a short little Intercontinental title run, which was like in 1993 or so, when he actually did beat Shawn Michaels for the title. And yeah, um, yeah Marty Jannetty was just like a solid mid card worker. You know, yeah, he was never going to be pushed as a top guy, but. You know, he would just kind of add to whatever promotion he was in. Yeah. Uh, this is your basic 90s tag team match. Uh, mm-hmm. Face tries to get in to help his ally. The ref is really focusing on him to get out of the ring. So the heels get into the ring and double team the other face. Yep. Uh, Tanaka is kind of a forgotten wrestler for WWF, but he was very solid in the ring. Uh, there was a lot of stuff in here that I would like to see come back. I mean, some of the pressure point hold, like submission holds, were really good. Uh, I believe from who do I have here? There's Kato and Tanaka. So I, I think it was from I think it was from Tanaka. I didn't put a name, but like there was like pressure point, like submission holds, which was very interesting to see. And you don't really see a lot of that. So uh, side note: um, K- K- Kato was Paul Diamond under a mask. Yeah, okay. it's a yeah, white guy. So, it's a white guy. Because see, back in back in those days, you know, it was kind of common for companies just throw a mask on a white dude and just say, "Hey, he's Asian," you know. It's, so, oh my God, it's just it's. WCW like, did this with Jamie Noble and the Young Dragons as well. If yep. I had a counter, how many times I groaned during this pay per view at at like certain things, like Ooh. nothing, nothing to Nick. Like we're doing this for a viewer, and this is the first viewer request, and we'd love the idea that we have a viewer request. But man, if we get more of these old ones, these are going to be like, all right, let's expect some things now. I, I think I think if we get more old, we get like some more older ones, like WCCW stuff. I'm going to be like, all right, well, let's 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 crack open a couple cold ones and go yeah, through this together. Get the beers out. We're going to need them. <laughs> yeah, the um, old Georgia Championship Wrestling stuff had some moments. I'm yeah, just gonna leave it at that. There is something I want to touch on when we get to talking about Virgil, because it was what happened after he left wwf there was a certain match that he went into that when i researched it and read it i was like there's no way this company allowed this like <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to it um but yeah i mean this is your just <clears throat> opening match 15 minute tag team match mm-hmm. um the ending is a little weird for me because yeah marty's the legal man but sean just comes into the ring and the ref doesn't stop him and then Marty pins the guy after the interference, and the ref um, doesn't like call anything on it. It looks like they. Oh. It looks like they're trying a double team. Oh. Like a, they're doing double teams. Uh, the the express. Uh, but what hap- What I think happens is Sean is trying to like stop it on one end, uh, and they just completely no sell it, and he just uh, all right, screw this, and he goes to the other side. Well, yeah, he comes in. He's not tagged. The ref doesn't say anything. And then he gets mm-hmm. the other guy off Janetti, and Janetti rolls up uh, Kato for the pin. Yeah. And I'm like, he just l- watched as Sean walked into the ring. <laughs> like, it was a really weird, like, noticeable finish that had me going. I think there was a missed call here on something. Probably. Right. But, but the thing is, the, with the finish, though, it's like, it, it was kind of cool looking because I think it was, um, I don't know, it was Pat Tanaka that had, uh, Mar- uh, I think it was Marty in the slingshot. Yeah, yeah. kind of like slingshots him over, and he kind of slingshots, and Marty just kind of flips over and rolls Kato up into a sunset for a victory. Yeah, yeah. 
That's so it was kind of cool looking, even though it was a weird little. Fuck, yeah, but, you know, uh, there were some things in here that I really liked. I liked when they went for the uh, backslide pin attempt and there was actually like a struggle to get the pin down. Like the guy yeah. wouldn't go down. Uh, there was the slingshot into the chop on Janetti, and I was, it was some really cool like tag team maneuvers. And it was stuff that I wouldn't mind seeing come back in certain ways. You know, I also love the Rockers double drop kick whenever they did it. It looked pretty. It looked really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it just a really good classic tag team match. And you're seeing shades of how good Shawn Michaels will be. Uh, it's just a I shame think, that the other three guys don't really have their same place in history. I think the other the only other note I really have about this match is that uh, they don't mention either of the express by name the entire match. No, they, they mentioned Marty. The they mentioned Sean. They just called him the, ex- the They just the, called him the, the Express. They don't give him an individual name. It's it's weird. It is. They should have just kept them as bad company because that's what they were in the AWA. They were AWA yeah. tag team champions. So I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, but I got kind of see where it was with the copyright issue. So yeah, this was we definitely this was definitely during Vince's like I am gobbling up everything. Yeah, ter- these territories are mine, and I'm not keeping the names of the guys that ma- the names that made them popular. They're going to be my stuff. They're going to be my Saturday morning cartoon wrestlers, yeah. which is exactly what a lot of these characters are. These are Saturday morning cartoons come to life. This is de- definitely like the Rock and Wrestling Connection era. Yeah. Well, so good match. I liked it. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with Dave Meltzer on this one. This was the best card match on the card, and I will agree with him that the worst match on the card was Coco Beware versus the Mountie. <laughs> Oh, God. But we'll touch yeah. on that, too, because there were yeah. some pretty funny moments in that match that actually had me laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about this promo. Uh, it is time for the Macho Man <laughs> Queen oh Sherry promo against the Ultimate Warrior. The Macho King. The Macho King. This was after his King of the Ring win, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think he had been the Macho King for like two years at this point. So to set the stage for this, Ooh. Sherry is trying to convince Ultimate Warrior that if he can beat Sergeant Slaughter, he will, or if he retains, he will give Macho King a title match. That's the entire purpose of this promo. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I put in a note here before we get started on the weird, uh, I love the old school promos between the wrestlers and the interviewers because it feels like the interviewers are legitimately like concerned for their safety around these wrestlers. Yes. Like, it was really funny to see, like, the guy, like, trying to interview him while, like, keeping back away from Macho King. Like, this like, man's gonna, the, this man's gonna destroy me if I take a step closer. Except for Mean Gene, though, because I like how Mean Gene always would, like, sneak this to heels whenever he was interviewing him. Yep. Or he'd say yep, something yep. slick once they were doing it, they wouldn't even catch mean, it. Mean Gene's a classic. Like, he's a classic interviewer. I, I love Mean Gene. He was um, amazing. I like I like Mooney. Uh, I thought he was a good backstage interviewer. I think he I think that that you have to have that one person who's like scared of the wrestlers a little bit by yeah. holding the mic like this. Yeah. Yeah, is basically what he was doing. And uh mm-hmm. Yeah, if I had to guess all three of the people in this promo segment were on cocaine. Like there's <laughs> that I have if I had to guess. Oh, oh yeah, this was very cocaine fueled. It was all it was uh, all oh. over the place. So she's trying to get ultimate warrior to agree to give macho king a title shot mm-hmm. and it starts becoming like a seduction attempt and <laughs> i'll give it to sherry she is really like doing this character well because if i remember yeah. a little bit about queen sherry like this is exactly the kind of character that she was back in the 90s mm-hmm. um this is also during that time between where 
Macho Man left Elizabeth and where they'd reunite, I think a year later. It was either mm-hmm. later that year or a year it, it after. Was, I believe it was SummerSlam 91 when that, that happened. Be after, it was like, I think the match one. made in having match made in hell thing. I remember yeah. that trailer so well. Um, but yeah. I put it here that she basically word fucks Warrior this entire promo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, first, she starts off by calling Sergeant Slaughter an honorable man. It's, it's like, classic heel, like classic heel mm-hmm. heat. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you see the people like there's there's a crowd behind her, which is she's the, also in like a wedding I, dress. Yeah. Like she's in yeah, a weird, yeah, like crazy weird. wedding dress or something, which is odd. The, so the setting I like about the reason I like it so much is that uh, there's a there's a crowd behind them. Yeah. Like Mean Gene and Sherry are right there behind the crowd. And you see the crowd like throwing vitriol at at Sherry the whole time. I made a note about the, the crowd too during the DiBiase mm. match because somebody legitimately nails DiBiase with a cup of beer, <laughs> and you see in the you see in the background the security run through the crowd to get to him. Like it's it's wild. <laughs> it's great. Like I just saw like uh, yellow security shirts like running through the crowd to get to that area that it came from. It was wild to see. There was a line uh, that Sherry mentioned while she was calling out the warrior before the warrior actually came out. Is that she thinks the warrior is quote yellow from the top of his head to the bottom of his toes. And we know the warrior is not yellow because <sighs> this man comes out rocking the red, white, and blue gear because we are two days away from patriotism kicking in. Yep. And it's America. America. This America. is just if there was a pay-per-view that's just America, it's it, that isn't great American bash, it's fucking this. <laughs> like Oh, on top and on top of that, uh this kind of theme runs into WrestleMania as well. Yeah. Oh, you know, Jesus. because they had that that was like a whole theme of WrestleMania with the stars and the stripes forever. Uh, she touches Warrior at some point, and he does like a weird like sniff of his finger <laughs> during the promo. Like, there's a lot going on in this promo, and it goes on for probably entirely too long. <laughs> like, Sherry asks, Sherry ponders out loud what it might feel like to kiss Warrior's lips, and then she gives him the most docile, like, quick peck on the lips, and, and then just Warrior like... just like. He yeah, and he like, like smells what? it. It's um, he, by the he, end. He does the he does the thing where he like looks at the hard camera facing. He's like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> like Jim Helwig is probably not completely here tonight. <laughs> it's um. Well, we know for sure towards the end he, of the match he's not completely there. No, no and we'll get to that too because that is a direct build off of I guess this promo in terms of story, which then becomes sure. not storyline. Um, Warrior gives a hilarious no to deny, no. and he it's like not just any kind of he, he goes into convulsions. It. Yeah, he like, like says no, holds it, convulses. Like it. This is probably this promo is probably five minutes longer than it needs to be, and boy does it while feel like Sherry, it. <laughs> while Sherry is on her knees, on her knees and from her crotch level, like it's it's a whole ordeal. Um, it gets a little uncomfortable. This is like cocaine. This is cocaine fueled, you know, softcore in pretty yeah. much a lot longer than it should have been. Yep. Then we get Macho Man losing his shit in the locker room and running out to find Warrior. He only finds Sherry, and then they both run backstage again. And then we're on to our next match. <laughs> like, 
this promo is there's been a lot of uncomfortable stuff in the last few years of wwe the whole this is your life segments during the 2000s we had eugene we had festus like wwe is known for their like what the fuck moments this I I feel like this is the start of that chain of what the fuck moments. This is not the start. This is a continuation. This is, yeah, probably. This I, we is didn't watch going on. We didn't watch anything in the eighties before this, so who knows? But this was definitely the most uncomfortable thing in a long time I've ever watched on WWE. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and this plays directly into a storyline thing later, which we will get to because god damn macho king um next, anyway. yeah next match of the night a uh, big old hoss fight we got the barbarian yep. who's rocking his best conan impersonation versus the big boss man who is really over with the crowd yeah also, they you know the crowd sees a dude in uniform they're like hey that guy that's a good guy i think this was during ray trailers uh like face era Yes. Well, like the crowd was like really behind him and he's coming out. He's swirling the baton. And you know, uh, what, the, you just... know what the thing I, you know, the thing I found weird, though, it's like the big boss man. He has this uh, he has the cop gimmick and he and this was right around the time when he was a big face. He was over in the crowd. The Mountie also kind of debuted around this time. It was, just, you know, match later on in the party. They and eventually they had, had that match. Similar gimmick. They, they had did. that match eventually, which yeah. then led to a prison rape joke. Yeah. Yep. It was a it was a match between the Mountie and Big Boss Man, and the winner gets put in jail. Ooh. And yeah, this was See, back. This was back during that time frame. There was a lot yeah. of cringe back in them days. Yeah. Um, so, I did uh, make a note actually before this match. I did make a note. I'm kind of digging the lavender belt strap that they have on the uh, the title. Yeah, I, may- I, I think it makes it stick out. Yeah, it makes it stick out. It makes it feel definitely like one of those old school territory belts. Yeah. Um it looked it looked I just like the look of it like aesthetically. Um it's not a whole lot for for this uh match though. No, There's the the, the barbarian spends most of the most of the work in the chest hugging. area. There is yeah. minutes of this match that are just in a bear hug. And mm. I'm like, what the fuck? Are you guys that winded already? Like uh-huh. but we get, a, the, we get some like there's a point where like moves. Bobby there's a point where like Bobby Heenan goes to like get a cheap shot on the boss man and he just no sells it and gets he into no the ring. sells it, yeah. Um because just, Bobby Heenan's managing like six people right now. I made a note about yeah, that too. I made a note about that too. I like how these managers are managing multiple people. Mm-hmm. Instead of just one person. It'd be like if Paul Heyman had all the heels like as his guys in modern like, WD, or if it's like, like AEW or Stokely's like, hey, or Don Callis. Like he's kind of doing that too now. And I love the fact that all these heels were utilitarian as well. Like they were oh, I mean, these heel managers because they were like, um, they're not just going to go out, you know, and distract the ref and stuff. Every now and then they'll just like kick somebody in the face or, you know, they'll do it, you know, or they'll just punch somebody. And they weren't really, they were wrestlers, but not really wrestlers, you yeah. know, and I mean, just they all, added they all the were, match as And they all were wrestlers. I mean, Bobby Heenan was a wrestler back in the territory days. Mm-hmm. And so, so was Fuji. So they were probably feeling a little more comfortable about taking bumps when needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, this is your typical Haas fight. Uh, there was a really cool moment in here where Big Boss Man hits uh, Barbarian with an Inzaguri, which I was not expecting. Like, yeah. I was like, "That's different." <laughs> like, that's new. Hey, Hogan did Inzaguris in Japan, and I think he did a Shining Wizard out there too. Hogan did a lot of technical wrestling in Japan as well. Yeah, like, he would just do mat wrestling, and it was weird to watch it. 
Yeah, mm. so some of the notes I had here, uh, Big Boss Man looks great. Like, I remember him from the Attitude Era, and he was gaining a lot of weight during that time, but here he looks in fantastic shape. Uh, Bobby Heenan looks perfectly slimy. Uh, this is yep. just a hoss fight between cartoon characters. Like uh, The finish comes with uh, the Barbarian getting a crossbody, of all things. A crossbody off then, the top, and then, and then being reversed into like a roll-up pin, which was a very cool uh, transition to a finish the match. I'm guessing they roll up in as many matches. Yeah, and I'm thinking uh, they wanted it to kind of be like that abrupt because I don't know if Barbarian was on a push or something then, so they didn't want him to like lose definitively. Mm. But this was definitely like a finish that kept both guys looking strong at the end of it. I don't know what became a Barbarian after this. I think he went to WCW. I think for he did a little while. Yeah, and this was like. I'm thinking about Barbarian now, and I'm thinking about Warlord from the Rumble, and I'm like, they were just doubling up on gimmicks, it felt like, for a lot of these guys. Uh, Are they still alive? Interesting. Yeah, I was looking up to see if some of these guys were still alive or not. I know we lost uh, Big Boss Man a few years back, I think. Uh, We lost him a while back. Okay. So, at least a few years. I'm still in the ballpark. (laughs) Yeah, you're technically correct. But, um... I mean, yeah, it's a simple match, I guess. To, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these matches are simple because we're so used to these complicated matches with, like, you know, spectacle and everything nowadays that we forget that a lot of these matches were just to have a go out and have a purpose and usually fill a spot on the card or further a minor storyline. And not everything had not to, even doing that. Yeah. Right? And sometimes it's but like a lot of in the modern day stuff, it's like, oh, all of our big angles have to have a match on this card for this pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. No, this could have been a feud between Big Boss Man and Barbarian that started three weeks ago and they needed to put a match on the card. So. Uh, after that, we go to our second promo of many for the night. The General Adnan and Sergeant Slaughter promo, which I wanted to reach into my screen and just choke Slaughter because I have no idea why this man is remembered as a legend. <laughs> like, this man cannot <laughs> cut a promo. He keeps he continually calls the ultimate warrior the ultimate puke, puke. puke. and it's like he, he so does it emphasis so many on times. It. The ultimate his, puke. I'm like he's just kind of my nose are just like it's the cheesiest fuck line. He's just kind of guttural. His facial expressions are dumb as hell. Like, and then it cuts back to Ultimate Warrior and his promo, and he's just incoherent as fuck. So. Oh no no! He says these he, are just a, this is just a style of promos that we pretty much were you know accustomed to back in the day. You know, uh, it was always you know loud and animated. Ultimate it's loud, Vic- it's animated, and it doesn't go anywhere really. I remember yeah. Ultimate Victor being said a lot in Ultimate Warriors promo. He also uh, did like actual animal snarls, which was weird. Like, yeah, he always did that. It, Warrior says that the peop- only people who would follow Sergeant Slaughter are demented, and that he is the ultimate champion and will win, and that will make him the ultimate victor. Yeah. Uh, and then instead, I forget that this is a Royal Rumble, because I'm expecting the title match to go on last. Nope. Uh, the title match is match number three on the card. <laughs> and, oh, boy. And boy, do we have some stuff to talk about in this match. <laughs> um, yep. It starts oh, off, it, it, it legitimately starts off great. Warrior comes sprinting down like he does, and then they try to double-team him, and he runs through the flagpole and clotheslines both of them. And then you have a really good, for America, like, beatdown of Sergeant Slaughter for about five minutes, choking him on the flag, hitting him they with the flagpole. 
They have him choking on the white part, crucially. Yeah, the surrender. Like, the white flag is for surrender, so, you know, it's yes. a good, like, thematic thing. Uh, the crowd's really behind this just Sergeant Slaughter beat down. And Naturally. It's fantastic. Uh, then Sherry arrives. And Sherry arrives because of the earlier promo, and she's trying to distract Ultimate Warrior, and that allows Sergeant Slaughter to get some offense in. And there's a really cool uh, moment in this where he locks in, was it the camel clutch? Is that his submission hold? He locks in the camel clutch, but, but uh, Warrior's the way he feet does it are is, outside of the ring. Yes. Yeah, and the ref doesn't catch doesn't it. Knows it. So it's like, I'm thinking like, oh, it's setting up for like a false finish. Like Warrior's going to tap, lose the title. It's like, oh no, he was past the ropes. You know, like I'm kind of thinking that's where it's going. And then I have to remember that it's 1991. They weren't that creative yet. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a couple of, I have a couple of other notes. Uh, I have one where Piper says, we have freedom of speech so we can say what we, we can say and do what we want. If I don't like it, I'll get in the ring and do something about it. Yeah. Piper's and then, on and fire then, on commentary. And then, and then Monsoon clarifies that Sergeant Slaughter's pro-Iraqi sen- sentiment does not represent the World Order Wrestling Federation or most people in the world. Yeah. It's... Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's... See, the amount of heat Sergeant Slaughter had around this time was, uh, it was astronomical. I mean, I believe WWE at one point had to, I think they had to get a security detail for Sergeant yes. Slaughter because of the amount of death threats he was getting. Yeah, this is the area of you'll still get shot if you're a good enough heel. Like, MJ, yeah. MJF would have been killed years ago <laughs> if, if he was alive in Truly. this area. The man oh, yeah. would not have made it past his 20s. <laughs> like... The moment he threw that drink on that kid, that audience would have jumped him. <laughs> like, Dragged him into the audience and beat the shit out of him. Like, I mean, everybody. Uh, and that's saying, like, he had this kind of heat, too, because he legitimately had a beer thrown at him, too, from the audience during mm-hmm. one of the AEW events. And he just, like, took it and grinned. Like, yeah. he knew, like, there, I have this level of heat. Like, there's, a, there, there's a sign in the crowd in this in this match that's it says gomer is a traitor which is like likely referring to sergeant slaughter yeah. uh for gomer pile usmc or uh what the fuck is it called uh full metal jacket that came out four years ago at the time of this pay-per-view yeah and so, depends on which one you're looking at they're probably comparing it to uh the slaughter being the marine background and stuff like yeah. that yeah. uh so have some here. Uh, it looks like Sergeant Slaughter is already out of shape, despite this like being his heyday. Like the guy looks like he hasn't wrestled in fucking years. Uh, the match stops as they hit a double clothesline on each other. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Macho King oh. and Sherry coming back out. Uh, was it a uh, warrior chase of Sherry down the entrance like pathway and gets taken out by macho king with a light which is a surprising weapon to use wax him with the light fixture yeah yeah wax him with a light fixture well, i think that's probably randy savage's a uh, personal choice in that it wasn't the assigned weapon to use yeah i feel like macho king had a lot of uh leeway during this beat down here so and... there's an interesting thing here is where uh warriors coming down coming back down slowly and you He's see stopping the count. slaughter is sl- stopping the count several times, which uh, which is something you don't see a lot every day nowadays. I think we should though. Like, if you're going to, if the only way you can win the title is by pinfall, why would heels and faces not stop the count? Or is that why they just avoid the ring out count nowadays? <laughs> a lot of matches don't even have a ring out like count to them, 
and it's noticeable like because when you see a ring count happening you're like that's different <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um yeah they get back in and let's see what i have here uh hulk uh warrior does this like pump up thing we get another bit of interference and then macho king just mercs jim hellwig <laughs> with the scepter <laughs> You hear the crack audibly. You see it break into pieces. And you see probably the exact moment that Ultimate Warrior gets a concussion. Like this, this is this is no longer like Ultimate Warrior Macho King. This is, this is Randy Popo and fucking Jim Helwig. He uh, laid a really good shot on Warrior with that helmet. Like some, with that scepter. Sometime before this pay-per-view. Ultimate Warrior had injured Randy Savage and put him out for six weeks. This was Randy's receipt. Yeah. And he did this shit on a pay-per-view in a title match halfway through the match. And got away with it. And got away. This man didn't show up to the Royal Rumble later. This man probably legitimately left the arena. (laughs) Like, like like you, there's a visual that I, I remember from this match of, like warrior just like half out of the ropes just like laying there yeah he's out cold i think i just messaged you guys on discord when i was watching this and i'm like yo randy savage just put his whole ass into that swing <laughs> like, he did he's oh, like he put the good old elbow grease into that one he's <laughs> like i see a baseball and this is a bat and that's how he took that swing and, and warrior's there's face a- was the ball yeah no, he's he's like there's a nail here's a hammer God, and the match still has 10 minutes to go. A pinfall attempt happens and a three count happens. And there's a lot of confusion. The announcers uh-huh. don't know what to say. It looks like the people in the ring don't know what to say. And it takes about three minutes until we get the announcer saying that by official decision, Sergeant Slaughter wins the US ti- or wins the world title, which I don't think he was supposed to do. <laughs> So um, I've I've looked at interviews with Slaughter later. He's like, "Hey, you know, get up, Warrior!" And he like elbows him because he he does an elbow drop, and he's trying to wake him up with an elbow yeah, drop. Yeah, he's trying to and wake he's him up cold. He's trying to wake up an unconscious man by beating him. Like <laughs> that's the mindset we're in right now. Come um, on, wake up! Here's this concussion I need to give you. And while that, I'm doing so. And that was a thing he said in one of these interviews. It's like we had about 10 minutes left to go, but Randy legitimately knocked out Ultimate Warrior with that swing. Yep. And if that's not it. 90s wrestling, I don't know what the fuck is. Like, see, and, and also 90s wrestling, when receipts happen, they happen. Yeah. Don't matter what you're doing at the time. Randy was ready for that one. Uh, yeah. So Sergeant Slaughter wins the title after official decision. Um, uh, Ultimate Warrior, despite probably being concussed, runs out of the ring to hunt down probably Lan- Lanny Poffo and not or <laughs> yeah, he's probably going for the the man, not the character at this point in time. Yeah, uh, that was. I think it's because he was concussed or knocked out. He gets up, you know, the adrenaline rush, and then he runs. Yeah, uh, the crowd absolutely fucking hates this conclusion. Yep. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter is playing it up, you know, like he, they're trying to make the best out of this situation. I'm pretty sure Vince backstage is losing his fucking mind. Uh, yeah, they're doing what they can, and uh, God, just Randy just fucking nails him. 
Yep. But you know, it does lead to like a really cool thing where Roddy Piper and Gorilla Monsoon are just absolutely losing their shit on the mic. On, commentary on team started losing their fucking mind when they they just losing song, their fucking mind. It was great. There was a moment where where Piper's like he he's like ah damn it sorry for my language. Yeah, Piper is great. Accidentally cursing and then apologizing. And moving away from that into match number four, I don't think the Mountie and Coco Beware were supposed to have a match. I think this was meant to fill that missing 10 minutes. Yeah, it was a cool down. This, this was a cool down match from the sheer insanity that everybody just watched and were a part of. Now, so, I'm going to yeah. say... I don't know what the plan going into this card was. I didn't watch anything before it. I didn't see the official card. Like, hey, here's the plans going into the Royal Rumble this weekend. If if they had this Coco Beware Mounty match scheduled, I don't know why. This feels like a match that's like, you, you, go out there and fill 10 minutes. <laughs> like, It's basically an open match gorilla. on Superstars. That's, yeah. what, that's what it was. Yeah, like Superstars was a big program this, at the time. That's what it is. What is it? What is an opening match? Yeah, this was the most like main event, lower mid card, fucking talent it's, match. It's also weird because uh, Coco Beware gets a jobber entrance, which is not something you really want to do when you pay so much money to get a fucking macaw. The best part of this match was Jimmy Hart yelling at a parrot. Yes, like, yeah. there, there's a lot of dumb things in wrestling that I enjoy. If I had seen this in modern day, I still would have laughed at it. Like, this is just one of those things where I'm like, this is so fucking stupid. But I love there, this. There's a moment where uh, where the Mountie throws uh, Coco Beware over the ropes. And then he like does his he does his like high step. And and yeah, Piper's and, like, is he goose stepping? No, he's not. He's a, he's Canadian, not German. Like, it's. If there was a German character in that, he would have definitely been goose-stepping, and then there would probably have been a lot of rank complaints. So, yep. um, this is a, easily the worst match on the fucking card. Uh, Mountie gets the win. I didn't even write notes for this match besides Jimmy Hart yells at a parrot. Like, that's just how uneventful it was for me. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a part, there's a part where, um, Roddy is, uh, Coco, like, gets the, gets the, gets, like, a comeback and starts fighting back Goes for a high crossbody, gets a pin, and then Roddy's like, damn it, excuse me, darn it, you can't win the match without hooking the leg. Yeah, there's a little bit of, like, meta commentary from, like, wrestlers to the commentary team. It's really funny. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this was just, like, a nothing match. If this match was planned to be on the card, I don't know why. If I had to, if I, if I do some research and find out that this wasn't a match on the card, this is definitely, like, hey, we need to fill 10 minutes go out there and wrestle yeah um i do like coco's little arm flapping for some reason like just being the bird man yeah i know he was probably a more serious wrestler in the territories uh but this is just like it. this is one of those cases where wwf was just like go out there and be a comedy act and just kind of it's pure Went like 90s there. stuff yeah uh we have a set of promo or recordings before the Ted DiBiase and Virgil versus the Rhodes match. It's a bunch of people just on the sidewalk, uh, kind of wishing the soldiers well. Which nah. is just like another. It's like USA, USA, and you know pro, you know pro USA, um, Iraqi Desert Storm stuff. 
It's just jingoism. And if I... Uh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. this was during the fucking promo segment. I put my notes here. What the fuck, Pritchard? What is that sunburn? Because <laughs> Bruce Pritchard in these promos is, like, just red as shit. And I don't know if this man just, like, did a darker spray tan or if he's, like, legitimately sunburned. Brother Love? Yeah. Brother, Love. Brother Love. Yeah, no, that that's his thing. His, that's it's always him. that red. Yeah, it's always I, that red. I saw it. I was red. like, "What the fuck, Pritchard?" <laughs> like he had, he had this. He, this was a Brother Love was a wild gimmick back then. Like, yeah, I think it was supposed to be like some take on Jimmy Swaggart. Like after his um little prostitution this, bust. But, yeah, uh, this was a uh, after Paul Bearer left. No, this was right before Paul Bearer came in because yeah. uh, Brother Love was uh, Undertaker's original manager. During the SummerSlam, yeah, it was the SummerSlam uh, first appearance, right? Or Survivor, it was Survivor Series. Yeah. The year so this before, is, this, I think. Yeah, right now, at this point in time, it's like two months into the Undertaker's uh, long 30-something year run in WWE. Yeah. But this is two months into the Undertaker's run, so we're getting very I mean, early he, Undertaker. Uh, this, is nine, this is the 90s, so 10 would make it 2000, almost 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's an insane run, and then you think we're seeing people like Dustin Rhodes in this pay per view, and the motherfucker's still wrestling. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but he's in better shape than he, and he's in much Dustin better Rhodes shape. Dustin Rhodes is in before. insane shape. Like I saw an Instagram picture from him, and I'm like, this man could just probably beat most people half his age in a fist fight if he wanted to. Yeah, like this is pure Southern like wrestling, like just muscle structure on this guy. Um, yeah, it's just a bunch of either plants on the street or just random people on the street being interviewed about desert storm. Um, um then we get to another good match. Hmm? Another good match of the night. Uh, I had never seen Ted DiBiase wrestle until this match. I knew, I knew of him as a character, but I always felt like he was just one of those like crazy manager types who never wrestled those heels that never wrestled. He always got other people to do it for him. Um, it was interesting seeing him actually wrestle. Um, this is a good match. I mean, I feel like anything with uh, Dusty and Dustin Rhodes is going to bring out the best in anybody across from them. Uh, I think Virgil's underappreciated in the ring at times. Uh, I think the weakest wrestler in this match would have been Ted DiBiase. Like, everybody else seemed very good sure. at what they were doing. Um, There's a point in this match where Gorilla Monsoon refers to Ted as Virgil's master. Which I there's a lot going there's a lot going on in this match uh, towards Virgil that I am glad does not happen as much anymore. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but it happens significantly less than this. Mm-hmm. So, some of it was really egregious. I'll Even during that. the promo, like Ted DiBiase is like talking to Virgil as like you're a hired hand, you know, like it's all this like all this shit from and you see like I'm pretty sure the I'm pretty sure the man who is Virgil I don't know his a real name but he's looking like he's pissed uh, off and i'm like that's not character that's just this man like being angry at how this white man is treating him oh that's michael jones that's michael jones cool mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah there's a lot going on with dibiase and virgil and that's why i like kind of popped for the end of this match but we'll get to we'll get to that uh, so uh, the finish comes when there is a uh there's a hot tag to Dusty, and then Dusty goes for a bionic elbow, uh, misses, hits the corner, 
where he hurts, and then a Million Dollar Man rolls him up, and that's the win. Yeah, because I think I mentioned earlier, this is the match that the Rhodes lose before they both go to WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dusty Rhodes got a job as the booker uh, in the early 90s at WCW, and Dustin Rhodes uh, began wrestling over there as well. I think they had, was it, was it seven was the gimmick that I think they were like Vince Russo wanted to give him? Oh, or was that seven, back in, yeah. Or was that back in TNA? Hang on. Seven was WCW. Seven was uh, WCW. X is, X is saying he's not getting sound. Oh, back. Um, All right. So yeah, this was uh, before the Roses left. And then we have a whole post-match angle between DiBiase and Virgil. Which, to the satisfying conclusion, is again uncomfortable to fucking watch. Yep. Uh, I mean, extremely uncomfortable to watch. It's probably, you know, I, I, I can imagine how bad it must have been for a person of color to watch it. Yeah. I was, un- I was uncomfortable watching this fucking shit. I'm like, what the fuck are they doing out there? Like, like looking back on it now, you know, yes, there's a set of discomfort. But this is the kind of things that WWE did back then, you know. Yeah, they kind of they did some things with racist undertones to it. Yep. This was one of those really kind of blatant, you know, things they did with DiBiase and Virgil. But it did have a satisfying conclusion. I guess they used that as a platform to kind of split the two. Yeah. Yep. So you have uh, Ted DiBiase cutting a promo about how the only thing that matters is money, and then he starts calling Virgil stupid and everything for hitting him during the match and then he's telling him to put the belt on him and just continuing to demean and degrade him. Uh, somebody nails Ted DiBiase with a beer. And then you see in the crowd, a bunch of yellow security shirt uh, shirts go running by the background, which was very funny to watch. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's noticeable because I like instant, my eyes were drawn to that rather than what was going on in the ring. Um, and as Virgil is presenting the title, he nails DiBiase with it to a huge pop from the audience. First, he throws it on the ground and then Ted's like, no, pick it up. He picks, and then it, he picks up, it up and clocks him with it, looks at it and it just nails DiBiase with the million dollar title. And just I, pop, good, I pop for that. I pop for that. Uh, just to add a little bit on it, he spits on it as he walks away, which is very yep. good, too. Um. Piper is going fucking crazy on commentary because the story here is that Piper had been talking to Virgil about leaving DiBiase. So Piper is just going fucking crazy over his friend uh, leaving mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase's employment. And it's just like, it's so great just hearing Piper on commentary just go fucking crazy over certain things. Yeah, P- Piper just brought that energy in this pay-per-view. That was like, if I could say anything, this was probably the best, one of the best parts about you know, the Royal Woman 1991 was Piper's energy throughout this whole commentary. Yep. Him and Gorilla Monsoon. They were really good. They they really played off each other really well. They yeah. did, and they played off a lot of the story that was going on in the ring as well. Even yeah. the shit that they really didn't know. <laughs> so we have a really good conclusion to the match. I mean, people who were leaving took the pin. We have a huge pop, a new baby face in Virgil. And then we get to Hulk Hogan. Oh God! We get a promo I Hulk for- Hogan. I forgot that this is this- the depths of Hulkamania in WWF. This, like this is this, this era. There is a promo where Hulk Hogan is dedicating this Rumble match to the boys in the Persian Gulf. Uh, in the previously in the pay per view, they mentioned that Hulk Hogan was already going 
to the going out there to see the bo- the boys and girls out there. Yeah. Uh, so like they kind of this is already kind of a foregone conclusion as soon as Hulk Hogan got into the fucking ring. Yeah. Um. I have a note here. The patriotism makes Hulk forget some of his lines. There was a part during this promo where Hulk stops to think about what word he's looking for. Like, but he was, does this twice. He does it twice, right. and then it's the second like time obvious, he's funnier. It's obvious that he has forgotten what the fuck he was about to say. <laughs> and I'm just like, when's the uh, when's the steroid trial? Another three years after this, or something? Yeah. Like another three or four years? About three years. Like, it can't come fast enough to get these fucking guys out of this company. Um, then the promo is interrupted by Mean Gene receiving a report that Sergeant Slaughter is defacing the American flag because, of course, he fucking is. Like, of course he is. Of course he is. Oh my god! It's just like this is the most heavy-handed, like, theme of this pay-per-view. We can't go five fucking minutes without USA, USA. But then again, this is our lives forever, baby. This is our lives. Like we, this was the shit that we had to grow up with between the Gulf War and Desert Storm to Iraqi freedom in the two thousands. This was just our like. This was the first third of my life for fucking crying out loud. Like, yeah. Well, I'm I'm tired of it. So keep keep in mind, not everyone was born in the eighties like the three of us were. Yeah. I mean, I was late eighties. I was eighty nine. But yeah, so was I. But I'm saying like. There, there's people out there who don't know what Desert Storm was or, or the Gulf War was. Yeah, technically, uh, Iraqi freedom after 9-11 was Gulf War Two. It was the sequel. Gulf War II. We, electric we went back. Gulf War Two <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. And then that shit lasted uh, for 20 years. So. Yep. But, uh, uh this. I, 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 I've been watching wrestling a little bit longer than you guys have because I was born in 82 and, uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of zany shit that was going on in the WWF at the time. Like, it was pretty much, you know, in full cartoon mode at this point. Yeah. You know, and then on top of that, you had WCW being like the more realistic wrestling company, but you know, WWF was just pure cartoonish. We like, are throughout the entire eighties. We are what three four years, years four years away from Stone Cold cutting his promo that propels him to stardom. Yep, something like that. So we this is like the dying age of the cartoon wrestler for the most part before we hit full nonstop attitude era. Um, I have a note uh, as we actually get into the Rumble match proper and get out of all the jingoistic fucking promos and shit yeah. uh, that Bret Hart pulls number one. And it's it's good to see that this is still the formula that works even the, 40 years later. The workhorse, the workhorse comes horse. out first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The person who you know is going to carry this fucking rumble is the first one to step foot in that ring. And the second person that comes out is uh, Dino Brand, uh, Dino, Dino Bravo. Who you thought was Dio Brando. Dino. <laughs> Dino Brando. I was like, well, Joe just came out like four years ago prior to this. And, but no, he's not, he's not. He's just an Italian. He's just an Italian. Uh, and I mean, this man looks like. He sh- this man looks like he left a mafia meeting and then put on wrestling trunks. He has the slicked back, blonde hair. He looks like some fat mafioso. Like this guy is just hilarious to see. I've never heard this heard of this guy. Built before. like a refrigerator, <laughs> man. He oh, he. So when uh so after this, I was doing a little bit of research on some of the wrestlers, 
after this, he passes away. Uh, not after, right after this, but like down the line. Yeah. When he is gets out of wrestling, he goes back to organized crime. So it's kind of true. Yeah. And then he dies. And then he because he, he was an yeah, actual he monster. He to go back into mafia yeah. life. Yeah. He was yeah, an actual monster. Like you can go watch this on Dark Side of the Ring too. Like they went through in detail with this story. What like the... yeah, after he left pro wrestling, a... he went back into the mob, and he was like, I... um, I think he was like running illegal cigarettes or something like that. I mean, I, I, I guess yeah, he was. He was like, I think he is like a Canadian Italian, so I think he's just crossing yeah. the border. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, you're right, wrestling is best when it's just part of who you are for your character. Yep. Um, but yeah, I had never heard of Dino Bravo. Uh, the third person out is uh, Greg Valentine. I know Greg Valentine, I'm, I've heard the name. Uh, he does not I, look I, like I, get... I thought he'd look. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll say he, that. He, he's, yeah, he's, he's definitely a continental uh, champion. There is an uncomfortably close look at Greg Valentine's ass before the next person comes out. Uh, I have a note here uh, between Greg Valentine and Dino Bravo. This is big meaty men slapping big meaty men, the prototype. Yep. Um, and then the Dino beginnings. and then Dino Bravo is eliminated before number four comes out, which yep. is, I guess Paul he has, Roma. I guess he had stuff to do. Sure. Uh, Paul Roma comes out. Uh, he's the model. Paul Roma, I think, is what his little gimmick is. That's no, no that's Rick Martel. That's Martel. He'll okay. come out in a sec. Yeah, yeah. Paul Roma has the uh, red and black trunks, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Now, uh, nothing of interest really happens, and then we get Texas Tornado. Tornado. Which I was surprised Jerry to Von hear. Eric. From, which I was surprised to hear from you that this is a Von Eric, and I'm like, of course, yep. Vince is shitting on his yeah. legacy. Like. <laughs> You can just oh, call of course him. he's not going to be Kerry Von Eric in the he's WWF going, at the time. The Von Eric name is not going to exist in WWF. No, Vince he's just a Texas Tornado. He's a Texas Tornado. And he looks like a ripoff. He looks like a ripoff Ultimate Warrior with like the leg tassels and everything. Like it's weird to at say. At some point, at some point, there is four people with with monocolored trunks and <laughs> boots. And you don't know who the fuck is who except for Bret Hart. I think you pointed out this looks like it's Bret Hart versus three randomly generated wrestlers. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> three WWE 2K creator wrestlers. Yeah. Yep. From the it's, 80s. When your custom character stands out in a cutscene. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not much happens. And then Rick Martel comes out. And Rick Martel is impressive in this match because he sets the record during this pay per view for the longest lasting in a Royal Rumble at 52 minutes. Mm. Like, that's the record set by him uh, after this rumble ends. And I think recently, you know, we've seen that being broken in a lot of ways. I think Gunther just won. I, just got because the, I think I think I, the current record is Rey Mysterio. I think they eliminated Gunther before Rey Mysterio's uh, light yeah. was removed. It just made Gunther look fucking dominant at the Royal Rumble. It was wild. Yeah. And then we get something that made me say, God damn it. As Out comes Tony Atlas. Tony oh. Atlas rocking Ooh. the sav- the whole Saba the savage, African. savage African Saba Simba character. And I was like, this man was a professional bodybuilder, I think. He was a wrestler in the territories. This man has he a was great physique. One half, he was one half of the first black World Wrestling Federation tag team champions with Rocky Johnson. When he yeah. came back, they gave him this shit. And I know that our Discord thing, uh, this it, this made you feel some ways, X. Oh, man. So. You know, I don't want to go deep into this, but like I said, this is one of those things where this is right around the time where, again, WWE did some things with a little bit of racial undertones. This one bothered me a little bit. 
you know, especially to, you somebody know, like Tony Atlas, who is capable somebody of like Tony. Tony Atlas is a great wrestler's name. I mean, we have Jake Atlas like in recent things. And it's like you can have Tony Atlas and still be a, a great performer. You don't have to do this it, shit or you might give I mean, yeah, but uh, I mean, and I, I read somewhere in an interview where he said that this well. I think, I, as a matter of fact, it wasn't a panel I went to where he Tony Atlas was on there. It was a panel I went to. I think it was at Comic-Con. He did mention somehow that this gimmick did save him life because he was on a downward spiral at the time with um drugs and alcohol and whatnot. And I get all that. I really do. But for whatever reason, I just was not feeling this at all. I'm not going it's to not look. I just, I'm not going to look back at it favorably with a modern lens. I can't. You if know, you no, I just, go into WWE nowadays as a black wrestler and you're given this gimmick like this is a lawsuit waiting to happen <laughs> this is a twitter mob you know cancel culture thing waiting to happen you know that you know that is. blows up with vincent that will actually happen <laughs> like, <laughs> um, like seriously and then, and then bushwhacker no way you can do a gimmick like this and now. the thing is he doesn't even last because bushwhacker butch is the next entry in and by the time he's entered the ring tony alice has been eliminated yeah like mm-hmm. it's absurd um i said for bushwhacker bush hell yeah i love dumb characters the bushwhackers are always going to have like a warm spot in my heart they're just ridiculous as comedy characters and they definitely yeah. gave the dudleys their costumes <laughs> i would yeah, say for the, sure. the camo pants and the oh yeah they did. the tank yeah. tops like this is definitely like the, the Bush- dudley boys ripping this off <laughs> the bushwhackers the bushwhackers walked so the dudleys could run this was, I also forgot, we'll get to it later. This is also the Royal Rumble where Luke shows up and then is promptly eliminated, which oh, is yeah. very funny. <laughs> Four seconds. Uh, and, then, the- and, then Santi- and then Santino breaks that record later. Yeah. Um, so Butch comes out. Tony Alice is eliminated. He doesn't get to do stuff. Uh, we get our first big name after uh, Bret Hart where Jake the Snake comes out to a huge pop. Mm-hmm. And I guess goes right into whatever storyline he has going on with Rick Martel, and they just start going at it. Seems like everybody who enters this Royal Rumble has a personal beef with Rick Martel. Does anybody else notice that? Oh, He's, he was a bit, he was an asshole back then. He was an like, asshole. The every, gimmick was an arrogant asshole. So every, yeah, he had a lot of beefs with everybody. Every he face has, that he, enters this beats the shit out of Rick Martel when they come into he this up. He has a fragrance called arrogance, and that's his thing. He sprays in people's face. That's amazing. Uh, he go and then Hercules, who I've never heard of. I guess he's the tag partner of uh, Paul Roma at this time. They're powering yes. glory. Yeah. So our first tag team of many enters this match. There were a lot of tag teams in this Royal Rumble. I will give it that. Mm-hmm. Um. Then Tito Santana, who I'm unfamiliar with, but apparently the crowd loves him. There was a huge pop for this guy coming out. Yeah, Tito Santana was Rick Martel's former tag team partner. They were known as Strike Force. I believe they won the tag team titles at one point, but then, you know, I think sometime in 1989, I think they broke up. Um, Martel turned on Santana, and that's what started that current gimmick that he had going into the Rumble. So, so you model. mentioned, yeah. So you mentioned the the tag teams that show up like the tagline for this mat for this pay-per-view is friend versus friend, foe versus foe. It's every man for himself. Yeah. So and that's kind of the that's kind of the motto for every Royal Rumble, technically. It It is. But that's this is the fourth one. So that's they're going to make that the the the, yeah. the tagline. I will put say this is on things like that. I will mm-hmm. say we need some cool tag team names to come back because Strike Force is a great fucking tag team name. 
Yeah. I think Strike Force is is I think Strike Force is a, is technically under the Nazi. Uh, That's probably something too. Probably why has it come back? Yeah, maybe. Um, and then we get the Undertaker fresh in WWF, and two two months in, instantly, instantly portraying him as an unstoppable force. Nobody can stop the Undertaker once he enters this fucking ring. Mm-hmm. Like. They're, they they hit gold with this fucking character, keeping him yeah. as strong as they did over 40 years. He is the yeah. end. At the time, he is the end boss of WWF before Lesnar shows up. Mm-hmm. Like, and they and they know. And they know. But like but the, the very first year, The Undertaker, though, this was him throughout that entire year until he got to Hogan. Like nobody could stop The Undertaker. You're like people would. I mean, you would have people punch him and he would just kind of look at them like. Yeah. He knows a lot of stuff in this Royal Rumble. Like he he was, I mean, he they pretty much kept him strong throughout the Rumble throughout that entire year, and that's why he was able to last as long as he did. And he kept reinventing that character. Yep. Yeah, and already he has the perfect facial expressions, the perfect like aura about him. I mean, the red hair mm-hmm. is still a thing on the character right now, but I mean, it's so crazy seeing this because you're seeing the pre legendary undertaker you're seeing the pre-legendary Shawn michaels uh bread before bret hart before his match with stone cold that kind of propelled him into yeah. a new level i mean bret hart was always good in the ring but there's a moment that moment was stone cold just like is what cemented bread as like a legend in the re- industry mm-hmm. yeah. um i have a note here uh fuck jimmy snuka moving on correct <laughs> correct uh british yep. Bulldo- british bulldog arrives next uh, he looks great when he's not, you know, drunk out of his mind going into a match. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's pretty much all I really know him for as a wrestler. I don't watch a lot of old school wrestling, but all I remember is that Brett had to guide his ass because he was fucking hungover. I remember uh, there was a Brett match. did a good job of that, too. And that just solidifies Brett, too, as just being like a yeah, Brett did a really good job of that. He can literally Perfect. guide a match with a fucking hungover moron and still making gold yep what were you saying there's uh, a, the there, there a match later on where it was british bulldog versus Shawn michaels and i think they unified the intercontinental and european championships at the time yeah i think so. um that yeah. was a that was that was the match that i think of when i think of british bulldog of uh, we have smash from demolition rocking his full-on gimp outfit yep uh, and then we have Hawk from Legion of Doom, where we're starting to see the tag teams start coming out. Um, mm-hmm. I know Legion of Doom is considered like one of the top wrestling teams in history, and I can see why. Like the crowd loves them; they have great mm-hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do great promos. Yes, great promos. They their gear rocks. Like I can definitely see why during this era, the Legion of Doom or the Road Warriors, whatever they were called at the time, were just as over as they were. <laughs> It was one of those things where they they didn't even change the gimmick from like AWA or wherever they came from. They just like gave them a different name. They just gave them a different name. So it's like, it's this the same works. Yes, because they're not going. They're not going to you know change. They're not going to change it too much because if they did, then they wouldn't get over. And everyone knew that. This is this is the energy that FTR took. Uh, FTR took. It's like yes. we're just going to be ourselves. We're going to change the name, but we're just going to go out there and fucking tag team wrestle. And uh, yeah, I mean. I'm starting to see like a lot of these guys. It's like I can see why a lot of these guys have earned their spot in history. Yeah, you know, and on top of that, Demolition really did draw a lot of comparisons to the Legion of Doom. 
you know, because they had like a similar looking outfit and such. But I think they kind of stood out when Crush joined the team later on. Yeah. You know, when he came to like a three man group and they, 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 I, I love them just as much. They were phenomenal. And also, they had a really good theme. They had a really sweet theme song. That was another thing. Nobody came out to music during this Royal Rumble. Oh, no, they yep. didn't. Which uh, was a noticeable thing uh, towards the end of it. I was like, I don't think I've heard a theme song yet. Nope. Oh, that wasn't a thing till later on. Uh, a young Shane Douglas is next. Which was very interesting to see, and you can see like how young he is. I don't know how old he was exactly at the time for this, but like Shane Douglas before I guess his WCW run is where he really like picked up. I think no, nah, his ECW, the ECW. Yeah, he did go like, to ECW. Why, yeah, he was um he was the friend. It's before he became the franchise Shane Douglas. That's right. So yeah. this is his start. I mean, lasts for a while in this rumble, which is impressive. I mean, I say impressive like he's earned it, but like they he got eliminated after some of the bigger names, which I guess is a blessing uh, from management. Uh, we go uh, to n- the next one where Macho Man no shows probably because he has left the arena worried for his life. Oh, did they actually call out Macho Man? And he didn't come out. Uh, they said oh, yeah, they, bring they said up. nobody showed up and then they w- have they say we had the list in front of us. So as we get entries, we'll narrow it down to who is in here. And then they announced after last one, it's like, that means that Macho Man did not show up. And I'm like, yeah, he's in another fucking area code right now. (laughs) Like, this (laughs) man is not. He just cracked that man in the face. He's just going to show up in a rumble after that with Warrior chasing his ass. This man does not want to be in the same state as Ultimate Warrior tonight. Like, (laughs) he booked the flight out of there. I guarantee you. He's out. He called the airport and then went out there and smacked him in the face. Like he had his ticket ready to go. (laughs) I need need you to keep my jet warm. Sherry was in the Sherry was in the Sherry was in the car waiting for him to come out into that parking lot. (laughs) That's a Bonnie and Clyde shit that happened. And uh, (laughs) after that, Animal shows up. We have the full Legion of Doom. Uh, Taker gets eliminated, which surprised me. Uh, but then again, this is early on, so he's not like the completely unstoppable force. They team up <laughs> to take out Taker, and then Animal gets eliminated, which means that Legion of Doom is no longer united. They lasted for about five minutes. <coughs> um, then Crush of Demolition. Oh, another tag team. I also put a note here: another gimp suit. Uh, and everybody in this match is sweating. Like, well, duh! Everybody in this match looks fucking winded already. Yeah, them lights them lights are hot this was yeah, back I mean, during shit. yeah this was back during those like high heat lights yeah there's they're, a cook in there there's a sheen on everybody in this match there, there, there were no led lights back then so it was like everybody it, it, it was like they were all cooking under like a fucking it was heat, a heat lamp, lamp. Yeah. yeah you know what i'm saying it was um, like they were like heat lamps you see in the kitchen they just mm-hmm. hung up over the ring and it was like oh well here you go guys there is a running theme in this match of Rick Martel going over the top rope, but then weaseling his way back in pretty yeah, much on every, every uh, attempt to throw him out. And every attempt to explain, nope, he's got to go all over and out the ring. Yeah. And after we get Crush, we get uh, Jim Duggan, who I wrote yep. here. This is probably the right guy to have on Patriotism, the pay-per-view. Well, <laughs> he also won the first Royal Rumble. He did. But I mean, he's also probably a full-time wrestler at this point. He's mm-hmm. definitely like that all-American character, and the crowd was definitely behind him as he marched his way down with his two by four. Yep. Uh, and then we get Earthquake, who comes out with Jimmy Hart, and this is what I mentioned. These managers really cover the entire locker room, don't they? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're like, hey, we're going to have a bunch of guys who may never interact with each other, but I'm going to manage all of these guys. So, Jimmy Hart, a uh, pretty big fixture in tonight's pay-per-view. I think at one point in this Royal Rumble, we have three managers walking around the ring. I think we have uh, Mr. Fuji, the uh, Power and Glory manager. I don't know who that was. And Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart. And I'm like, couldn't they just fight? Can we just get, like, the managers fighting each other outside? That would have been a pretty funny addition to this but again probably not as creative as they become in the future yeah uh and then mr perfect comes out and a really cool touch here is that mr perfect takes his sweet time coming down to this ring he's like i'm not going to waste any energy everybody in there is running to the ring they're fighting i'm just gonna saunter on down and then get in there and i think this was during his uh heel run too yeah yep so definitely a good heel here and then i put fucking hulk hogan fuck this era man <laughs> like we said that in the 2000s about john cena and i'm like thinking about this and it's like fuck this is going to be a john cena moment though i didn't know how this was going to end but the moment i knew that hulk hogan was on this card i'm like god damn it <laughs> like um yeah, I, I, just, I, I knew hate, Hogan was gonna win. I hate fucking Hulk Hogan, man. Like, <laughs> but well, yeah, he's know, a shitty he, person. He, he is. is, but like I said, he was the big dog back then, you know. So, and I'm, he was McMahon's guy, just like it was. You know, McMahon has won every single era. You know, he had Hogan in this era, and then it was like Stone Cold and the Rock in the Attitude Era. John Cena afterwards. And now we're up to Roman Reigns. So, yeah, and you, you knew you knew he was winning this and we know that mm-hmm. roman is going to hold the belts to knock hogan off that pedestal and i'm like i can get behind it i just wish we didn't have to go through cody for it so mm-hmm. all right he'll uh, get his w back at some point he will uh haku is next he's booed out the building we get jim neidhart who gets a lukewarm reaction the bushwhacker luke moment marches on down marches into the ring gets thrown out of the ring marches backstage back to the ring. <laughs> which i don't well, know if it was, was i don't know if it was planned or if it, they built it around him like maybe he was injured and they just didn't want him in the ring for a long time so you're like you know what just go out there and we'll make it a little comedic moment yeah i know uh i know when santino got interviewed about his when he broke that record that he was like oh no i, I was intentional like <laughs> kane just happened to be in the right place at the right time to eliminate him yeah um then we have brian knobs of the nasty boys which i forgot the nasty boys were a thing during this time frame i thought they ec dub i didn't think they i didn't think they came until ecw that was the the thing i thought they they were were around at the time i thought they were ecw first and then they came to no they went to wwf then they went to ecw after fair enough ecw did some stuff where they uh like even before the attitude era they they did a couple like cross promotional things yeah Mm -hmm. um if I had written my notes on paper, this is where I put Stone Cold, cross it out, Goldberg, cross it out, the Warlord comes running down to the ring. Bald man, tall, black trunks. <laughs> I'm yep. like, I, so I yep. had to do an adult. I was like, I, didn't, I thought this was either Steve Austin or Goldberg at first. This man is just like the third most generic bald wrestler, man. Uh, yeah, he comes out and then... Uh, Probably gets eliminated a few minutes later. Now we're starting mm-hmm. to narrow down the field. People are getting eliminated every few minutes. Yep. Did uh, we get the number 30? Did we get the number 30? Tugboat. Who I did not know who this was. 
So, um, yeah, a lot of I'm saying I'm making a note here. The selling. I can great. tell you who he was in WCW though. Yeah. Remember who fell through the wall? He was Shockmaster. Shock Shockmaster. Master. That was him. That Man, was him. His career was ruined at that point. <laughs> yep. He was done. Um, some notes here. The selling is great. These guys are probably legitimately winded, though, under those heat lights. You're yes. probably right. Oh, yeah. This is For not sure. selling. This is them just being fucking miserable in this ring right now. Uh, Piper is great on commentary. Uh, Martel is kill- setting the record. Um, And then we have Hogan in a 2v1 at the end of this match with knobs mm-hmm. and Earthquake. And, uh, yeah. The 2v1 is beaten by Hogan. Of course it is. And uh, he, just, um, he immediately boots Brian Knobs out of the ring. He this boots 2v1. him out of the ring and then he handles uh, Earthquake doing the yeah. Hulk Hogan versus Big Man trope that they keep doing. He does by his usual way, power up. I mean, this is Cena circa 1991. Like, And this is and this was like after Earthquake hit his finisher. And by the way, Earthquake really moves fast for a dude his size. He, I was impressed by how fast he was for as yeah. large of a guy as he was. And come to find out, he was like 28 years old. And I'm like, shit. 28-year-old looked different back then. He really did. But how, uh, how do we finish this big old Patriotism pay-per-view with Hogan and the, the real American kind of vibe that he he sets? Yep. I was tired by the end of this pay-per-view. <laughs> like, I was... I, I started at like 9 o'clock, so I watched this from like 9 to midnight the night that I watched it, and I'm like, I probably should have broken this up into pre-Rumble and then post-Rumble. Or like pre-Rumble yeah. and then the Rumble as like a two-day segment thing. Um, I have nothing to say about this pay-per-view besides this is like the pinnacle of okay 90s wrestling. Yeah. And storytelling. This, def- this is definitely like they had some like, you know, smatterings of good storytelling here and there. Yeah. It just didn't they didn't deliver as an overall product, I don't think. As an overall uh, product, this pay-per-view was weak. Some of the individual storylines were strong. I mean, I think my moment of the night was Randy Savage knocking it, Jim Helwig out. Yeah. Like, Cuz you just don't see that shit anymore. No. Cuz that's actually an assault charge. Um, I really liked the Rockers match. I think that was probably the best technical match on the card. Mm-hmm. I mean, Virgil defying Ted DiBiase was a great story moment. So there were moments during this pay per view, but overall, yeah, this did not. It, it was pretty not, standard. This did not deliver to a modern wrestling fan. I'll, it was just I'll, it, it I'll was just pretty that. standard. Pay per view. We are modern wrestling fans. Yeah, we're used to the more modern style of fast-paced, high-action, you know, spectacle. This is before that. Like, this is only a few years, I think, after the whole curtain of kayfabe was starting to be pulled back, uh, because everything was now coming together as you know, WWF, the territories were being absorbed, so people were seeing stuff on a national level now. Yeah. Um, and that kayfabe curtain was being pulled back. They tried to keep it going, but then the ser- the steroid scandal will happen, and just kayfabe's thrown out the you know fucking window. Yep. And then uh, McMahon took the company public. I think towards the end of the nineties, and that really just kind of opened the door 
you know, along with the internet, and now pretty much kayfabe is in the dirt at this point. So everybody knows everything that's going on. Yeah. And I think we mentioned it in the Discord. For the people that say we want wrestling to go back to the good old days, this is the good old days. I don't this, want this, this kind it. of wrestling again. This wrestling is not as entertaining as modern day wrestling. I mean, like I said, there's still some great stuff, but if I had to sit during pay-per-views like this with this pace of matches, I don't think I could do it. Like, I mean, overall, this this pay this pay-per-view and like many others back in those times, they were products of the time, you know, and things were done a little differently back then than they are now. Storylines were put together a little more uh, loosely than they are now, and um, I don't know, man. It's just, I, I guess these pay-per-views they just don't hold up like they used to. They yeah, still, no, I mean, no. some of them are still good to watch, but at the same time, you just got to go into it thinking now, well, you know, you know, these are during the early days of pro. This is like before the big boom in pro wrestling. Yeah. Like the first big one with the attitude era and such. The I Monday th- Night Wars. Yeah, this was before so Monday Night Wars. a little War- bit of leeway. This was before the Monday Night Wars. So I think this was when wrestling originally was kind of in its like downturn in popularity yeah, yeah. before wrestling was quote unquote cool again because and of the NWO of that- and all that. And, and to your point, you know, WWE was about to start transitioning into the new generation, you know, where the Bret Hart's and the Shawn Michaels and the Diesel's would all come into uh to the main event scene. And this was like right around the time the steroids trial happened. So, yeah, this is kind of like the end of we're kind of like seeing the end of one era and like the, the beginning, beginning of another. the next era. When was the Shawn Michael Razor Ramon like a ladder match? 94, WrestleMania uh, 94. 94. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to see the evolution of some of these characters. Like, the Rick Martel is going to become, you know, the Razor Ramon. And then we're going to get Diesel thrown in. Shawn Michael is going to go solo. Bret Hart's going to be kind of featured as the main guy when all the steroid uh, wrestlers are going to have to leave for a little bit. Yeah. And we're going to see that. And then that Golden Age is going to start coming back. You know, Or, I mean, the Golden Age for a lot of people was... 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s with all like the classic names, the people that you couldn't track down dark matches for. You know, if it was somebody in Madison Square Garden, like the I forget the Russian guy beating Sam Martino in Madison Square Garden to like the threats of violence from the crowd because they thought a, a Russian legitimately won the title yep. from their American hero. Like it, that people consider that the golden age. And by people, I mean like Jim Cornette. But yep, I don't give a shit what he thinks, though. I don't either. Like, this is that weird transition between what people would consider old school wrestling and modern wrestling. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of these matches, you start to see those styles kind of conflict with each other in a lot of ways, especially during that Rockers match. Like, you start to see the appearance of like modern day, like tag team, which is, is very interesting. It's, I think it's a great pay per view to watch from like a history standpoint. As a historian, it's very interesting to watch. If I had to pick, like, what Royal Rumble am I watching tonight? It's probably not this one. <laughs> but, I mean, it was great seeing the history. I mean, I yep. had never seen this pay-per-view. I had only seen moments from it. I, and for some reason, out of all the moments I've seen from this, I did not know that Sherry promo existed, which yeah. was absurd. You think more people would be talking about that? <laughs> but... I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about this? I mean, that's all. That's all I really I had. I, I. It was there was some there was some promise, but there was not. It's like it was a mediocre product, but that was the best that they had at the time. 
Yeah. Like when you look at it from a modern with a modern lens, yeah, it looks mediocre in, in comparison, but you know, you get there. You get there eventually. I mean, it, it, it was what it was. You know, we you know, we we just team we just seem to kind of look at things from a modern lens, but I kind of tend to look at it from the lens that I looked at it through when I was a kid. You know, we were all into that stuff back then. Okay. Nowadays, when you look at it now, it doesn't quite hold up as well, like I said earlier, but, you know, it, it was what it was, you know, and over time, I'm just glad that, you know, pro wrestling kind of evolved from that point to what we have now, okay, where storylines got better, you know, the in-ring product got better, you know, and, you know, wrestlers were less, you know, they were doing less steroids, and they were incorporating more of, you know, their own stuff into it, you know, there was a more high-impact style, uh, Long story short, you know, th- these were what they were, man. But yeah. from a historical point, they're pretty important still at the same time because you kind of get a glimpse of what that product was like back then. And you look at it now, and you kind of realize that we kind of needed to walk in pro wrestling before we could run. Yeah. And right now we're in the running phase. All I can say is thank God we didn't have another character based on anything Iraqi down from WWE. And thank God they cut down on some of them gimmicks like Saba Simba and the Orient Express and whatnot. And I say that it's like, man, this is the only pay-per-view that involves like an Iraqi sympathizer. And then I like flashback to Muhammad Hassan. And I'm like, we did not learn our lesson in WWF. Uh-uh. And then, that, and then they did the angle with The Undertaker that happened the same week of a bombing. So uh, Yeah, that was that a... Was, uh, no, That he, was wild. He... It wasn't his debut. It was a thing with the Undertaker, right? Yeah. So, a lot of stuff did not line up right for that guy. I'm kind of glad he's coming back as himself for wrestling. He's just showing up like here and there and like indie stuff in his area. Mm-hmm. But that guy's career, unfortunately, kind of got cut off at the knees. It wasn't even his fault. Circumstances out of his control. It wasn't even his fault. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, that's so, all. That's all I had. Hopefully we never have an extreme patriotism pay-per-view like this again. Oh, we will. Uh, I hate because you're probably right at some point. Ah, uh, all right. Well, but I think yeah, that's, I think that's it. I got nothing else to say. I mean, I'm bad. Nothing. I hope, uh, I hope Nick liked this episode. I'm sorry if we were not as hyped for this pay-per-view as you were. Maybe you watched it growing up. And all that is a close place for you, but I mean, a few of us have only watched more modern wrestling, so we've get to see things from a lens of more modern day sensibilities, I suppose. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, thanks for the recommendation. We loved doing this viewer request episode for somebody yeah. for a change. That's is different. We've never yeah. done something like this. <laughs> hey, if you guys want to recommend more for us to watch, we'll do it. Just you know, we might not be so kind to it. Yeah, we're going to you're if you're asking us to review a pay-per-view, we're going to review it from a more modern day sensibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to consider storylines at the time. We're going to consider the atmosphere at the time. But at the end of the day, gimmicks and stuff like that, it's like, oh, that was the sign of the times. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't mean it's great. Like, doesn't mean it was a good thing. <laughs> doesn't mean it's acceptable. Right. Oh, it's just nobody had the balls to say, Vince, no, don't do this. Right. So, well, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, and, see you next time. Yeah. Uh, if you want us to review anything, message us on the Facebook page 
the link tree should have on Twitter. The link tree should have both of those. And yeah, we'll see you all with our next pay-per-view video some point next month, I would say. Unless yep. we get something else like this. And uh yeah, take care everybody. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Have a good day. Good night. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Square Triangle. Find us wherever you get your podcasts under the Without Context Podcast. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at WC Network.